whenever you go to school as a child, you look forward to graduation day. Uh, sometimes that means high school graduation, sometimes that means college graduation, but you get there, you wear the cap and gown, you walk across the stage, and you're finished. You've completed your education, and you're excited. Uh, it's, it's usually a joyous day, and rightfully so, uh, because it is, even if it's what's expected or required of you, it's still, it's still an accomplishment. There's still reason to be happy and rejoice in it. But when it comes to education, when it comes to learning, really, just because you have graduated doesn't mean you really ever stop learning or you really ever complete that task of growing in your education, right? That's something that's always ongoing. You have at moments that are completing a certain stage of it, but for anyone in business or any, any uh, realm of work, there's always continuing education you have to go through, continuing training. There's always an importance to continuing to learn. And most of the successful people in business or other realms will say, hey, that's why it's important to keep reading, to keep learning, because it helps you to be able to problem solve and make informed decisions. And so really learning is kind of one of these events in life where you complete it at certain times there are milestones of completion to it and yet it's continuing it's ongoing the work is really never done in a certain sense and that's similar to what we see in our passage this morning where we see the people completing the wall and yet we see the work is still ongoing. There's still more work to be done, even though they come to the end of this task. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open this morning to Nehemiah chapter 6. We are in Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Our passage this morning goes through the end of chapter 7, but we will read through from Nehemiah 6.15 to Nehemiah 7, verse 6. So read with me this morning. The word of the Lord says this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, a little in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid." Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. 
And while they are still standing guards, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the peoples to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own home. And then the passage continues with the names of those who had returned. As we look at this passage, we really see these two sections to it, that they had completed the work, they had built the wall, but there was still ongoing work to be done, a continuing work. And that's really kind of the framework we'll look at this morning. We'll look at the completed work and the ongoing work. And in this completed work, we, we see this phrase in verse 16 that stands out, right? The wall is completed. It's in 52 days they built it. And when the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God was at work. It was abundantly clear that God had done this, that the hand of God was the reason that this wall had been built and the wall had been built in this amount of time. And you can look through the early chapters of Nehemiah and really see all the ways God was at work, right? Whenever, whenever we complete a task or accomplish something, we can always look back and see the hand of God's been upon it. We can see how God's been at work, and we can and we should do that and give him thanks for it. The people, they had been, uh, well, first it started with Nehemiah. God was at work in him back in the kingdom where he had talked to the king and God had blessed him and given him favor with the king to come and build the city and bring supplies to rebuild the wall. And then we see in chapter 4 that God gave the people a mind to work and to build the wall. And we can see that because they got done in 52 days. Uh, You can just insert any joke here you want to about the speed of construction crews and how 52 days versus construction crews. Usually things don't happen. But, uh, you know, even if you're on a good construction crew, most major tasks are not getting done in 52 days, right? Most people aren't building houses to completion in less than two months. Uh, Now, we know this wall probably wasn't the most polished wall. It wasn't the most glorious looking, right? But it got the job done. It was a wall. It gave them protection and it helped them. And God was at work giving them a mind to work to do this. We see that God was at work not just in the people, but in the enemies. He was frustrating the plans of the enemy so that they couldn't sabotage the wall. And really, that was an answer to their prayer. The people had prayed for this. We see that all throughout chapter 4 and throughout the early parts of chapter 6. The people were praying that God would not prosper the enemy, but that their plans would turn back on them. That they would uh, be really afraid And we see that answered in this passage, that God encouraged the people. He didn't make them afraid. He strengthened them. And really, 
the exact opposite happened. The, the enemies turned out being the ones who were afraid as God showed up and did this work. And that's really what we pay attention to here is that the enemy knew that this was God at work and they had these two reactions, right? When God showed up, the people, of course, they praised God for the completion of this wall. And we'll see that later in Nehemiah. But here, it doesn't focus on the people rejoicing in the wall. It focuses on the enemies and their response. When God showed up, how do other people perceive it? And the enemies, they have two responses. They're afraid. They've been the ones trying to make the people afraid. And here they are afraid when God shows up because it's clear that God is on their side. It's just a reminder to us, we thought last week, about how we shouldn't be afraid when God is on our side. Well, here's the evidence more of it, that when God shows up, he is clearly bigger and more powerful than, than the enemy, and the enemy knows it. And so we need not fear those who are going to fear God when God shows up. But that's one reaction. Their other reaction is that they fell greatly in their own esteem. I just love this phrase. I can't help but think about all the things I want to think about and say about self-esteem when it comes to this phrase. God showed up and their esteem fell. And so really, self-esteem is not what we need. In fact, if self-esteem is what we need, then we shouldn't come to God because when God shows up, our esteem falls. That's what the Bible is teaching here. And the enemy is the example of that. God showed up, and they realized they really weren't all that great. They weren't that powerful. Their esteem fell. And that's the case whenever we see God showing up in the Bible, because the reality is that compared to God, we're really very small and powerless when it comes to him. And that's, that's the reality we need to know. And that's a reality that's good to us. That's a reality that's better than building up our confidence or self-esteem because if we know the reality that God is this big and he is our God, he is on our side, then that's the confidence we need. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in God. And that is superior to just building ourselves up or having self-esteem or saying that we can do things or get things done, right? This is the response, the reality that we are small, but God is not. And his character, his goodness, his commitment to his people gives us great comfort and great confidence, even when we're faced with great enemies. And so that's the reaction the enemies had. Well, they were, they were not responding well to the God showing up, right? They didn't see him and they realized how small they were, but really you can have two responses when you see that. You can see how great God is and you can respond well to that. You can submit to him and follow him or you can rebel against him. And that was their reaction. They didn't see the greatness of God and fall down and worship. They saw the greatness of God and they continued to oppose God. They continued to oppose the people and that's really the wrong reaction and we see that and we see how that works out for them but they were still seeing the truth about God and rebelling against him and really that reminds us 
one of our main reasons for being on earth still as the people of God is that we as the people of God display the glory and the power of God as a church, as a people of God. That's one of the reasons he's left us here, so that the world will see, and then it's up to the world. Are they going to respond to God in the right way and submit to him, or are they going to turn away from him like these enemies do? But we see this in Ephesians chapter 3. We read that this is Paul's understanding. He taught that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So not only do people on earth see God at work when they look at the church, or that's what they're supposed to see, but the enemy, Satan himself and the demons, they also see God's work taking place when they look at the church. And that's one of the reasons why we're still here. God doesn't save people and take them immediately to heaven. And there are several reasons for that, but one of the reasons is so that the church here on earth is displaying the light and the glory of God, and it grows ever brighter, and so that Satan really has to have a reminder of it all the time. Every time he looks at the church, he's reminded of the fact that God's plan really is good, and that God is more powerful than him, that he can't overcome what God is doing, and the enemy takes notice of that. And so that's why in whatever we do, we should seek to do it to the glory of God because it's a reminder to the people around us and even to the enemy of God's glory. But this isn't just an individual thing. It's, it's something that the church focuses on, gets to focus on collectively because we do this together as a church. It's not just individuals giving glory to God, although that's the case as well. But collectively, when we gather together, when we commit our life together to follow God as Christians together with the church, then this is what happens. We collectively are displaying the wisdom, the glory of God, and we're a testimony to the people around us, to the world and to the enemy, to Satan himself. And this is what really we've seen in Nehemiah. Uh, it's, it's a perfect fit. Nehemiah as they've built the wall, the enemy sees the work that God is doing, and they oppose, continue to oppose him. Well, we've made the comparison that building the wall is really, for us, the, the, the similarity, the comparison that we take that for us is that we need to be building the church. And as we build the church, we see the same things happen. The enemy takes notice, it sees God at work, and God receives glory. And so really, this is part of why we're here on earth. We talk about purpose sometimes. What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, this is it. This is part of it. Our purpose, if we don't want to waste our life, part of that means we are involved and working towards the growth and the health of the church so that the church is shining and displaying the wisdom and the glory of God as we together look more like Jesus. And the enemy notices when that happens. And so we see that in Nehemiah. We see it in the New Testament with the church as well. This is one of the, one of the great things about church. One of the things we, we need to remember, the, the glorious truths that God teaches us about gathering together. And so this is the work. They completed the work. It was clear that God was at work to do it. But then they had to continue the work. That wasn't it. 
they weren't done, they didn't build the wall, and everything was good then. Uh, we read the city still wasn't really built up in verse 4. There, there really weren't any houses in it. There was very few people living in the city. And remember, Nehemiah's task was not just to come back and build the wall, but it was to, to help the people flourish, to be established, to be protected, and continue to grow as the people of God. And so it took more than just building the wall. The building the wall was step one in that, but there was more to it. And so that's why we see that Nehemiah is continuing. He doesn't take a large break after the wall is completed. Then he sets up people to guard the city. He establishes the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers appointed for the service of the temple and the people who are going to govern the city and the land. And so we see these structures continue to put in place so that people would flourish. And that's really where these lists of genealogies come into play. Uh, we didn't read it through it completely this morning, but there are several genealogies in this book. And that's why it's here. That's why it's here in, verse, in chapter 7. That's why we see them in chapter 11 and 12 as well. The genealogies are here because the city was large, and the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And so what does Nehemiah do? He, he tries to protect and provide for the city, cause it to flourish. And by that, he essentially creates this lottery system so that people will be chosen to live in the city. Some volunteer, others are chosen and go willingly. But that's what we read about in chapter 11. We get this list of names who, of people who go and live in the city. And that's important because that means they're establishing the city. It's really hard to have a city if there's no people there. It's really hard to flourish if there's no people working and uh, growing in their life together and growing in commerce and etc. And so Nehemiah knows that. He's looking out for that. He also, we see in chapter 12 about the people not just returning to the city, but we know that flourishing isn't just physical or material. Flourishing is spiritual, knowing God. And Nehemiah makes sure that they reestablish the worship of God as they put the Levites there as well. We see that in chapter 12. We get the list of their names in chapter 12. And so we see those genealogies, how those fit. And here in chapter 7, this genealogy is a complete list of all the people who came back. Of all the people, really it's, uh, it's kind of like a comparison. They had a list from Ezra of people who came back. And Nehemiah takes this list and he's comparing it. He's reconciling. He's making sure the list is accurate. Are all these people still here? Are all these people, the people of God, still here? Have some passed away? Have they moved off? He wants to make sure the list is right so that he knows who there is to choose from, who is, who's available to help rebuild the city and the walls. And so that's what this list is about. That's the importance of it. And really it's a it's a reminder to us that there's no filler passages in the Bible. Like, God doesn't just throw in this list of names as fluff to help carry the story along. There's a reason it's here. And that's the reason it's here, to remind us that sometimes we need to know who the people of God are and who the people of God are who are here. Right? There were still some in exile, but who are the ones that are here? That's what Nehemiah wants to know. And that mattered for them. It mattered for the flourishing of the people then. Really, it matters for us today as well. And that's kind of the application to us that we think about this morning, is that it's important to know who the people of God are 
who are here. That's what, really, that's what church membership is. It's knowing who the people of God are who are here. And so it's a reminder to us that church membership matters. Uh, if you ever think, where is church membership in the Bible, or what's the pattern for it? This is part of the pattern for it, and then we see it in the New Testament as well. But knowing who is a part of the church is how we know how we can flourish as a church and grow as a church, who we're committed to as a church body, committed to each other. And if you don't know who is a member of the church, then you're, you're not going to know practically who can volunteer, who can serve in certain ways. But more than that, membership is really about being committed to each other. These are the people I'm supposed to care for. I've committed, I've covenanted together with to care for. That's why we have a church covenant, because it's a, it's a covenant when we join together. We're, we're not just following God, but we're committed to each other to help each other grow and look more like Jesus and bear each other's burdens as we follow the Lord, to encourage each other, to not go after the deceitfulness of sin. These are the things that church membership is about, and really the core of it is helping each other to grow to look like the Lord. And that's that's the goodness of it, that we forget when we, when we think that it's okay if I don't join a church. We miss out on those elements of covenanting together with other believers and being committed to each other. And that brings up, really it brings up a problem that we have and a problem that a lot of Baptist churches, and it's not unique to Baptists either, but a lot of churches have, and that is that the records of who's on our membership is not really an accurate representation of who is here. Uh, I've talked about this before once or twice on Wednesday, but uh, about a year ago I counted up the number of people on our membership rolls, and it's approximately 466, at least a year ago it was. It hasn't changed by a lot since then. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a genius to look around and say there's not 466 people here. And so you can do the math on that. But what is Nehemiah doing in this passage, right? He wants to know who is there. He's reconciling the roles. He had this list of who originally came, and then he's comparing it with who's there so that they know who's available, who can help, who are we committed to as the people of God. That's the goodness of knowing who's there. And that's really what church membership is about. It's that we're supposed to be caring for people. Technically, we're supposed to be caring for all of those 400 people that aren't here. That's our responsibility to each other. That's what we've committed to. And isn't that a good thing? That's what we want. We want to be a part of a place that cares about us, that cares about us enough that if we're not there for a while, people notice, right? And people check in on us, and people want to see how we're doing, and encourage us to, to be a part of the church. And so, just like Nehemiah, we look at the roles and we think, well, this is, this is a problem. We, we probably need to look at reconciling this. There's a difference between who's here and who's not here. But I want to be very clear about this. The reason that it's important to have this accurate representation is not just because we're trying to make things easy on bookkeeping or it's important for the keeping track for the state or for the SBC and better records. 
But the reason we want to pay attention to this is because it really is a matter of caring for souls. The people who we have committed to as a church, we need to care well for them. And they're still on our rolls, all 466 of them. And as we think about this, we think about what the Bible teaches on this. When someone hasn't been for a long time, hasn't gathered together with the church for a long time, years usually on this role, we haven't seen certain people for years, then we should be concerned about the state of their soul. It's not just that missing out on church means that we're not getting the encouragement, we're not getting the growth from it, because that's what happens when we gather together. That's why it's important and good for us. Because we hear the word, we're in fellowship with other believers. That's a big deal. And people who aren't here are missing out on that. But it's more than that. If someone isn't here consistently, then really they're breaking a command of God. And we need to not ignore that. If we care about these people, we need to pay attention to that. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you will know them by their fruits. You don't know what goes on all the time inside of people's hearts, but you know what they say and what they do. And if someone is not obeying what the Bible says consistently, if it's a pattern in their life, then we should be concerned about the state of their soul. Because Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. Either they've strayed off the path or they weren't a Christian to begin with and are not bearing the fruit of it. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 is very clear. No one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Good works don't save us. We know that. But if we don't have good works, if we don't have that fruit, then there's no reason to think we've been saved by God. Because here in 1 John, we see Christians do not continue repeatedly in sin. So let's bring this back to church membership roles. Make sure we stay focused on this. The Bible commands us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, do not forsake the gathering together, as is the manner of some. That's a command. Do not do it. Don't forsake the gathering. And so to neglect the gathering at church for worship together is sin. Does that mean you can never miss church? No, we know that's not what forsake means. We know missing occasionally is not forsaking the gathering. But we should take this seriously as a Aliana showed me a church sign this last week. Uh, they said on their church sign, going to church should be your excuse for missing everything else. I thought, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And so we should take this seriously. It's, it, it matters if we miss church, right? If someone is listed as a member and hasn't gathered together with us for a year or more, they're neglecting the gathering. They're breaking this command. Now, we know there are shut-ins. We know there are people with medical conditions and other exceptions. We're not talking about that, right? We're talking about the people who just haven't been here. And the Bible's clear that's a pattern of sin. And so it's our responsibility as people who are members to contact the people who aren't here 
to, to check on them, to care for them well, to, to encourage them to come back because we're concerned about the state of their souls, really. Even if you don't say that, that's your motivation. And so if we think about someone, if you think about, hey, I know one of those people on the list, one of those 400 people who's not here, well, contact them this week. Tell them you've missed them. Tell them we'd love to see them back. Encourage them that they're, they're missing out on growth. They're missing out on encouragement by not being here. And in this process of contacting people, we hope that people will return. Like, that's our prayer. That's what we want. But some, maybe many, will not as we are conscious and trying to care well for these people. And in those instances, it's, it's our responsibility to reconcile the roles to reflect who is here and who is not because they're continuing in sin. And people who are continuing in sin are not giving evidence that they are the people of God. That's what First John chapter 3 says. And the church membership is for those who give evidence that they are the people of God. We don't let non-Christians into church membership on the front end. And so why would we do it on the back end either? It's kind of the reasoning there. And so this is what we see in this passage from Nehemiah. We're reminded of this. And this is a process for us. It's one of the reasons we, we formed a membership committee last year and has been staffed, uh, nominated. People are on it. And it's not something we rush through. We understand that. But it's something that we must do, each individually and also as a committee and as a pastor. It's something we must do in order to care well for people. We don't want to be like Cain and flippantly ask, am I my brother's keeper? We want to be people who care and show love for each other and commitment to each other by willing to seek out other people who aren't here and encourage them to follow the Lord and experience the goodness that there is in that. And that's really the point, that Nehemiah wanted to know who was there so that they would grow and flourish as the people of God. And knowing and caring for each other as members is a way that we flourish as the people of God. This is how we show this love and commitment to each other as church members together so that we would flourish together. That's our mindset. We want to grow together as the people of God. And so that's why Nehemiah counts. And it's a reminder, it's really a direct application to us in a lot of ways to, to take care to look at the church membership roles. They had continuing work to do. And this was part, and we'll see in the chapters to follow, the continuing works that they had to do for the flourishing of the people, and this is part of it. They had completed a work. They had done a great thing. A monumental thing had been accomplished. They built the wall. But there was still work to do. God has done a great thing in us. Salvation is a great thing. And we should not take it for granted that we are sitting here together as the church. God has done a mighty thing in this room. But there is continuing work to be done as well. So may we be faithful in continuing to follow the Lord as best we can. And according to this passage, we are instructed specifically in certain ways to do that. Well, let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you don't just tell us to grow, to look more like you, that you give us commands in the Bible of how we can follow you, how we can obey, how we can actually grow in looking more like Jesus. God, we pray that we will grow in our care and concern for other people in our church, that we would be the people described as you said in John chapter 13, that people will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And in this area, may we display more and more love. May we increase in it. I thank you that we are, uh, generally speaking, concerned for other people. I thank you that uh, you've blessed me as the church has been concerned for me in so many ways since we've been here and shown love towards me. I pray that we would just abound more and more, not that it doesn't exist, but that we would continue to abound more and more in this love. And we thank you that you do that work in us, that even as we've thought about completing tasks and continuing them, that you have done that in us. You've completed a task of salvation, that you're continuing that work in us. We thank you that you are at work doing this to change us and so that we would also have the example of what to do together as well. Lord, we pray that you would lay it on our hearts to uh, follow you the certain ways we need to, convict our hearts this morning of how to better serve you, how to better grow together as a church. And we pray that you would get the glory for this, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.